and time of celebration. In terms of our scripture this morning, I wanted to open by just saying that it's not anything you don't know already, but it's not at all uncommon in my own sermons and thousands of others that will be given this uh, weekend or today even for a pastor to utilize an illustration when he or she is trying to explain a concept or to make a point. It, it could be a story. It could be an object lesson. It could be some sort of a modern-day parable. Whatever the illustration, the idea is to help hearers who are working through some sort of a text to, to better understand and to better grasp the meaning. And the idea is that if you hold up something that one is familiar with or that one can easily relate to, it's easier to, to, to make the jump onto the, the truth or principle of the text. Presenting an illustration and then going into some detail about the ramifications of the event or the story or whatever's being used is, is not new. In fact, it was very common in Jesus' ministry. In fairness to all, Jesus' illustrations were significantly more eye-catching and impactful than a goofy story or some sort of a physical object lesson. In John's gospel, they're called signs. There are seven of them. We've encountered three of them over the last few weeks. Water into wine at the wedding of Cana in Galilee. The healing of an official son from a distance. And then last week we considered the third, the healing of the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. All of them are gearing up and kind of pointing to in their own way what we'll encounter oh, within the next few weeks when we get to John 11 and the raising of Lazarus. But there's kind of a distinct pattern that I hope you'll see as we encounter the remaining signs over the next few weeks. Jesus performs a sign. Some sort of an incredible miracle. But something meant as a sign is always intended to point beyond itself to something more. His signs could be thought of as an illustration or, or an object lesson. And then Jesus preaches a sermon. <laughs> Some of them longer than others to more fully explain what the sign means and its ramifications. Last week, like I said just a moment ago, we covered the story of the healing of the man who was unable to walk there at the pool of Bethesda that Jesus encountered and healed. And today we're going to just quickly glance at the sermon that followed that sign. Though the man at the pool was not physically dead, there was an element of physical raising that occurred in his healing. In his instruction to the man, Jesus said, Take up, take up your mat and walk. There's a literal physical raising from laying on the ground, laying on his mat to the point that he is upright and walking. The man responded and physically was literally raised to new life. As such, he represents life after an encounter with Jesus, or what that looks like for us. 
I think Jesus' sermon helps to point that out. What are the elements of resurrected or, or, or new life that are true of those who have an encounter with Jesus and are, who are raised, as Paul says in epistles later on in the New Testament, to walk in newness of life? Now, immediately after the sign was performed, by extension, Jesus is criticized. I'm glad, you know, just kind of parenthetically, I'm glad that once I, once I offer an illustration, you all don't start booing before I even get to the sermon part, right? That's kind of what happened with, with Jesus. The, the leaders uh, there are in and around the temple came to the man and said, you, 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 can't, you can't walk. You, you, you can't because you have to lift your mat. And, and, and that qualifies as work. I read something this week, or last week, when I was working on the story of the influence, that there was great controversy over whether someone with, with what we would consider the, the equivalent of a prosthetic leg could walk on the Sabbath day. Because, because that would require utilizing some sort of effort to lift an object, a foreign object, to your body like a prosthetic leg. Now, we, we sometimes jump to, I mean, these people are just crazy, right? Like, yeah, come on, this is, this is ridiculous. R- remember, remember just, just a little benefit of the doubt. They were doing what they thought God was asking them to do in a very uh, detailed application of the law, and specifically the law to keep the Sabbath holy. And so when they see this man walking, it is offensive not to them exclusively, but in their minds, in the eyes of God. And so they come to him and say, what are you doing? Jesus' response to those who were criticizing was succinct and direct. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, Jesus also by healing, but he was even even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. Then in verse 21, Jesus says, For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgments to the Son. This is kind of the kickoff. This is the transition from object lesson or illustration to sermon. Jesus isn't holding any, or pulling any punches. He says, the reason that I do the things that I do is because God is working within me. And they say, well, we got more problems than you breaking the Sabbath then. Because now you are putting yourself on equal footing with God. Jesus goes on, and we'll take a look at just a couple of the verses specifically. In which he's answering the question that has not actually been asked by the people, and he's doing it in the negative. He's telling them, as you'll see in just a moment, what they are not experiencing because they continue to lay on their proverbial mat, 
and they have not been raised to new life. Those who are criticizing the one who was. That's what the remainder of John 5 is about. I want us to see just three portions and their accompanying elements, I think. And we'll note that in speaking to the healed man's accusers, Jesus lays out what qualifies as being an experiencing resurrected life. First in John 5, beginning in verse 20. Jesus continues to preach and says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that that testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He, John, was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. The first element of resurrected life is the element of witness. Within this passage, Jesus references John the Baptist, a key figure you'll remember in the early portions of the gospel and in the early days of Jesus' ministry. This idea of having one who who vouched for you was important among first century teachers. There was a sense that with an endorsement by a trusted teacher, your teaching could and should also be trusted. Jesus suggests to those who have criticized what he is doing and questioned his identity that trusting the witness of what God is up to is an element of resurrected life. By its nature, resurrected life is new and different and changing life. It can be easy to be resistant to that which is different or seems unusual. But Jesus says resurrected living looks for the places God is at work and embraces them rather than as those he was talking to criticize them. The second is an element of works, beginning in verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, Jesus continues. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. Jesus says in an experience and a display of resurrected life that the witness goes way beyond just simply words that are spoken. Jesus says that resurrected living includes works. We think of James teaching that faith without works is dead. Similarly, a life full of empty words, as eloquent as they may be, should fall on deaf deaf ears if the works given to an individual or group are not being completed. Jesus said that these are the works that God has asked him or given him to accomplish. And when Jesus left and ascended, as was commemorated a few days ago this week, 40 days after Easter, he left the responsibility of continuing his ministry with the church. 
And because of that, there are things that God calls us to, to be about and to live out in continuing his ministry today. And so a resurrected life will be most clearly seen by what is done rather than only what is said. What if the man who had been healed, what if the invalid who had been healed there by the pool and Jesus said, get up, take up your mat and walk. What if he would have just stayed laying there and said, boy, sure is good that my legs work now. Sure is good that if I, if I wanted to, I could, I could get up and get away from this pool and, 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 and quit having to hope that I would somehow be able to, to get to the pool while the waters were being stirred and to be healed because I'm healed now. And then the next day you came and he was laying in the same spot. And the next week he was still there. And the next year he was still there and, and, and you said to him, man, I, I thought you were healed. I, I am. And you said, brother, you're still where you were before. Of course, of course, resurrected life requires resurrected living. We're in the process of being transformed into the image of Jesus. Do we get it all instantly? No, no. I would think even this, this man, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I kind of think of like, uh, what is it, kind of a baby giraffe who kind of, you know, a little wobbly, a little wobbly on their, on their feet as they learn how to stay coordinated. Sometimes that's the way we are when it comes to walking with Jesus and living this resurrected life that includes works of righteousness. Not that they save us. They're just evidence that we've experienced the resurrected power of the Spirit. Jesus says resurrected life includes witness. It includes works. And then Jesus concludes, at least we're going to conclude, with verse beginning in verse 38. And you do not have his word, Jesus is saying to those who are criticizing him, in explanation of the illustration he just performed via the miracle. He said, you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Do not think that I will accuse you to the father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? There's always this underlying temptation. I think probably just true of religion in, in general, but I think also true of Christianity. To, to store up kind of what we might call head knowledge. Jesus cautions that sometimes that can distract and distort from experiencing resurrected life. Jesus and his life are the fulfillment of all that Scripture contains. And while we want and rightfully want to know Scripture and to learn Scripture, the purpose in doing so is to better be pointed to Jesus and motivated to walk 
in resurrected life. Remember, remember in John, the use of the word, word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God is the way that the gospel begins. It represents the new involvement of God incarnated in Jesus in the world. Ultimately, resurrected life, as Jesus presents it in this sermon, is experiencing and embracing God's activity through the person of Jesus. In directing the invalid at the pool to take up his mat and walk, Jesus was inviting him to a resurrected life. What about us? The same is true of us. We are invited to these elements of resurrected life. Are we experiencing them? Are these elements becoming more and more a part of who we are? What role does witness and works and Jesus the Word play in your life this morning? May we allow the Spirit to search our hearts as we answer these questions. Amen.